And often what it is, is when we're young, voices from the outside hit us hard that we don't have the capacity or defenses to, to, to inoculate ourselves against. And those external voices become internal voices and we forget. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we actually forget until like a lot of the work we, we do with men and these shame stories and going into their past and starting to locate, like, where did that start? Welcome back to another episode. I am here with my fan favorite business partner, Jason Lang. Thank you for being here. Good to be back. We are talking today about, uh, I see a beautiful woman and I immediately get triggered (laughs) and sort of that pattern that we hear from many, many clients about, you know, wanting to be more confident when it comes to women. And this is relevant both in terms of whether you're single or in a relationship. So it's, it's, you know, very, very present. I think for our clients who come in single, who say, I want to be more confident with women. I want a partner. I haven't attracted the best partners in the past, or I don't have a lot of experience and I don't understand why I just freeze. Like, I think the freeze pattern is one that comes up for a lot of our men when they're starting out. It's just, you know, I, 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 I don't know what to say. I get really nervous or, or I just don't approach at all. Right. I just don't approach at all. And I think that's part of why we called this episode. I see a beautiful woman and immediately get triggered because when this pattern, which we're going to talk about arrives, it's a big blockade in the way of any kind of action. So there's, it's not even like I'm taking step one and then I'm getting turned down. It's like, shit, I see a beautiful woman and I immediately have thoughts about why would she pick me? Why would she even want me? What's the point? Um, she probably, she's probably taken and he's probably better than me, or I'm such a loser, or, you know, these, these kinds of thoughts, that kind of immediate pattern that comes through is part of what we're going to cover today, because that is, um, yeah, it's just a huge part of what can block connection of any kind, whether that's connection with a new person or if you're in a relationship of some kind, blocking further connection or depth or even you know initiating sex, for example. So yeah, so let's talk about you know how you've seen this kind of pattern show up in your own uh, dating journey. Um, and when I say pattern, you know, I think a lot of what we're talking about, yeah, is that freeze part and then any thoughts and feelings associated with it? Yeah, I think this is a, such a great, huge topic and one that really touches pretty much every man we work with in some capacity. Um, and for me, you know, this stuff was in there. I wasn't super conscious of it for a large part of my life. Um, you know, I did a lot of men's work and they would often talk about this kind of stuff. And I'd be like, oh, I don't have that so much. And then, you know, 
in retrospect, I can see it now and then uncovered a lot in the last couple of years. But from, for me, primarily where this showed up um, was two areas, particularly in my twenties, you know, when I was pretty much still a virgin um, and it would show up as like, well, I don't have enough experience. Why would she want to be with me when she could be with a man who has more experience as a better lover, et cetera. And at that time when I didn't feel uh, very healthy and I wasn't very healthy in my body, like uh, I don't even like my body. Why would she like my body? And I, I think the thing that underlined both of those um, and a lot of the ones you just mentioned are, it's like, as soon as this stuff kicks in, it actually prevents action from even happening. So it's like, it just stops everything in, in the tracks and would stop me in my tracks from like not even approaching, not even saying hi, like not even allow myself to consider that this might go somewhere. It's like a closure in the moment of any possibility there, totally initiated by me, right? Whether or not that person w- would find those things true or not, no way to know, because I would never even give myself the opportunity to find out, which is where I think this kind of can show up as a freeze, because it's just like a immediate truncation of any action, because all this patterning comes in, and it's like, well, I already know why she wouldn't, so why even approach? That's definitely something we've heard from our guys is what's the point? Like if I already know she's going to say no, what's the point of even doing anything? And, (laughs) and part of the tragedy of this, and I think about this a lot is, man, there are, there really are a lot of missed opportunities. And I think that's a, a grieving process that we've seen a bunch of our clients go through is kind of essentially we watch them overcome this pattern and move past it. And then you've mentioned this on a few episodes of realizing, wow, this is actually a lot easier. (laughs) Relating with women is a lot easier than I thought that it was. And then realizing how many times in the past that, that they just didn't go for it. They didn't approach, they didn't, you know, they just froze and assumed well, I'm not worthy. So what's the point? And, and how much connection that could have been wasn't. And I think that's a special kind of grief. Um, there's a quote about that, about, you know, the biggest things we regret in life, aren't the things we did, but the things we didn't do. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about how it was for you, you know, looking back on all of those moments, you know, from where you are now and the personal growth that you've done now, looking back, how does that feel to kind of be aware of, wow, like a lot of those women might've said, yes, you know, I might've, who knows, but if I had kind of taken some action, my life would have been different. What is that like? Yeah. I I mean, this is one I wrestle with every day. It is a particular kind of grief um, in that, oh yeah, there were opportunities there that some of them would have played out probably some likely wouldn't have at the same time, but I didn't even try <laughs> like, and that's, that's the kind of painful thing, which in an interesting way for myself and definitely for some of the men we've worked with ends up reinforcing all the beliefs to begin with. Cause then it's not only like that stuff, but it's also like, well, I didn't even try. <laughs> so there's like the, the kind of collapse after the collapse and yeah, 
it's probably one of the most common um, pains I, I, I talk to with men as, as we um, converse with them and they consider discovering or uh, joining our program. You know, I, I like to call them the kind of um, arrows in the heart. It's like every little missed opportunity with a woman where we didn't approach or didn't really go for it is like this kind of like arrow of regret, regret. And they hang out for pretty much ever. Like, you know, we, we work with a huge age range of men and um, all the way up to guys, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s can remember those moments of like, oh yeah, there was that one time. And in retrospect, her energy was open to me. And I can totally get now. She was just like waiting for me to connect or say hi or anything. And and I, I couldn't do it because I, I couldn't get past this internal stuff we're talking about, this kind of self-made um, blockade that so many of us as men do. So it, it's real. It's there. And, and, and it's a grieving. And, you know, part of what we'll talk about later in the healing process is even learning to relate to that grief is part of how we start to unwind it of like, oh, instead of beating myself up for not trying that or not making that move, it's understanding why, you know, what the roots of all that are. Yeah. Thank you for speaking to that. Cause I think there's, you know, it's interesting as a woman who has sex with men, right. As a woman who's interested in men, I feel a lot of um, sadness, you know, I, I don't know if I would say the word grief, but I just feel just so much sadness for those, for those moments on my side, knowing that there might've been really, really wonderful men that stopped themselves before they even approached me because I also missed out. I, I also missed out on the, on the connection with them. And I think that's something that's easy to it, you know, it's easy when we get wrapped up in our own world to forget what the other side sort of looks like. And I think sometimes um, it can be hard when you're really sort of in, in your shame spiral <laughs> to kind of come out of it enough to be aware that, yeah, there's, there are people that actually would be served by connecting with you and be excited about connecting with you and want to connect with you. And they're, and they there, the opportunity is missed on both sides. I guess that's my point is that when it comes to connection, a missed opportunity isn't as a missed opportunity for both, not just one person. Um, and I think that the, we're really talking about shame. I mean, that's the, a word that needs to be brought into the conversation is shame. And, um, one of the common patterns that we've seen lately or that I've witnessed lately in our clients, it has to do with them. I'm, you know, fill in the blank age. I'm 30, I'm 35, I'm 40, I'm 45, fill in the age. I'm 40 and I've never been married or I'm 40 and I'm not married or I'm 40 and I'm not partnered. What's wrong with me? There must be something wrong with me. And there's, there's a particular shame around kind of to your point that compounds everything else of mm-hmm. why would she want me? Why would she pick me? Also, oh my God, I'm this age or I'm, you know, the clock is ticking. I'm only getting older. We hear that from a lot of our clients. And I think that that's something that we as a culture usually associate solely with women because women have the biological plot, clock, blah, blah, blah. But we hear it from a lot of our men like, shit, I'm getting older every day and I still don't have this figured out. 
I still don't have it figured out. I'm still not partnered and I don't feel like I'm any closer. Right. And I think that's something that has been really inspiring for me in witnessing our clients is in actuality, how quickly these kinds of patterns can shift. They can feel so permanent and so um, cemented in us. But and in reality, when we start working on them and we start getting some support, it's actually pretty remarkable how quickly it can shift. So I'm curious if you can speak a little bit to, you know, on your own path, on your own journey, what were some sort of, you know, transformational moments or moments when it was like, oh, wow, this is actually, this doesn't have to be my reality forever. This is changing for me. Yeah. I think um, what I'll start with here is something I feel like we've talked about uh, on the show before. We certainly talk about with our clients, but this idea, I honestly can't remember where I got it, but it's never left my head now of it's often our self-image. That's the last thing to catch up. So we can like be changing on the outside, but our inside is like always the same, right? Even I remember a guy in our group um, shared an image of like, uh, I think standing in front of a mirror. And it was like, I think, you know, you can imagine like a lion standing in front of the mirror and in the mirror though, he sees like a teeny little cub and it's like his image, uh, our images of ourselves often don't reflect reality. So for me, you know, it it really started to change um, by getting reflections from others that, oh yeah, really? That's how you see yourself. That's not how I see you at all. And like, oh, interesting. And, you know, uh, I talk endlessly about men's groups and the power of men's groups and how they, you know, became a huge part of my life. And that's one place I really see this show up strongly because, um, as I like to say, you know, when six or seven other guys are reflecting something to us, oftentimes something positive or that they see or that they admire. Um, We have two choices. Either we're like, well, they're all full of shit and I'm right. Or wait, maybe I'm not the one seeing myself right. And all these other people are actually seeing something correct. And that's been a big opening for me, you know, over time, um, getting that reflection and learning to trust other people's experience of me as, okay, that must be true because these people are telling me this, right? And it, and that's where the, all this work really comes down to though, because it's that layer that doesn't let that in, which is the same layer that keeps us from acting, right? It's that like barrier, that that shield of, of shame or, you know, what we'll explore here, this kind of like shadow that gets in the way. Um, so as I started to have a few more experiences with women and as I started to connect more with other men, I started to be able to see myself a little differently and just allow the possibility (laughs) that, hey, maybe the way I see myself isn't the way everyone sees me. And it's like a subtle rewiring of the brain that, that just starts to take root. I like that. Allow the possibility, because I think that there's, um, there can often be a gap between the mantra <laughs> and the reality of how we feel. So for example, um, I fully and completely accept myself. If we're dealing with something like shame or self-loathing, that's probably not going to work, right? Jumping to the opposite of how we're actually feeling doesn't work. But 
those interim pieces of I'm open to the possibility, uh, right? I remember when I was working on receiving as a, as a practice, I am fully open to receiving didn't work for me, but I'm open to the possibility of receiving worked for me. That was a mantra I could do. I'm open to the possibility of receiving. It felt somehow a little bit safer, a little bit, you know, more gentle. And I like that. I'm allowing the possibility that I'm worthy. (laughs) I'm allowing the possibility that people find me attractive. I'm allowing the possibility that women might like me sometimes, right? It doesn't have to be all or nothing. It can be, there can be interim steps. And, you know, you mentioned the the person looking in the mirror. I think it's important to just validate that for many, many men, and especially the ones that we've, we've worked with, a lot of them have reported having the experience of, you know, I look in the mirror, I feel like I look pretty, pretty good. And then I, I walk out into the hall and I see a beautiful woman and I immediately feel like I look like shit. So there's something particular about the, the feminine gaze, right? The, the experience of being seen by the feminine that can trigger our deepest shame, right? That can trigger our deepest shame. Uh, and that, that's true for both sides. But since we're talking about this dynamic, that for men who have sex with women, there's something about being seen or being evaluated or the feeling of being judged somehow by women that can be extra scary and, and super triggering. And I'm curious, you know, if you can, excuse me, draw us a line from, which I think is a little confusing for some men sometimes is why is it that working with men, why is it that men's work and men's groups help with women? I think sometimes it's like, I don't get it. Like, shouldn't I be working on my dynamics with women? I don't understand where, where is the line? How do you get from working with men and becoming more connected to men helps with confidence with women in your own experience and generally that you see? Yeah. Um, the biggest word I get is, you know, training and practice is, is the first thing. So just um, even learning to become aware of the shame spiral or process that starts in me, right? Let's say, um, can't really change it to make other choices unless we're aware of it. And sometimes when we're really in the heat of it, it's like it happens and we're fused with that. And then it's the afterwards, like we can kind of dissect it and getting in groups and working with other men is a place where we get to really slow that down and where other people can often even notice the, the roots of it of just like these little ways where our voice cracks or our posture changes, or we use certain phrases that that are already kind of pointing towards that collapse and other men can, can start to catch it and just say, Hey, do you notice that when you say that you do that? Or, you know, when you talk about that, your body does this and there's like a, Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, which starts to bring us some healthy awareness and allow us then to play with that of, well, how could I use a different word or how might I be able to speak differently there? Um, I think the other really powerful thing in groups is there's, there's something about seeing it happen with someone else that makes it so much more obvious than to connect it back to ourselves. So it's like sometimes, right. 
like shame is often a type of shadow. Like we, we can't see it within ourselves always, but when it's happening in someone else, we're like, Whoa, man, you are being really rough on yourself. Like right now, like you would never talk to me like that. Right. Why, why are you talking to yourself like that? And then there's like a, a light bulb starts to go off for that man. Uh, and then often for ourselves of, wow, I guess I probably do that with myself too. Huh? And in a way, it's easier to see some of this patterning, I think, in others, and in particularly in men's group, it's just a really safe play to, to see that. And because um, we we have so much shared reality between us in the group, there's, oh, yeah, oftentimes the shames you're feeling are the same ones I'm feeling. And then it's like, oh, I, I can start to catch that now. And if that man believes that about himself, and yet I know him, and it's not true, he's totally not like that. Well, maybe some of my beliefs aren't right either. And it can start that loosening and that that kind of questioning of the process. And there's just something about getting into that space and having that kind of shared connection with other men that is profoundly healing, profoundly healing. I really like that word loosening that you used because it does feel like in the men that we've worked with that I've witnessed, it's like there are certain knots that are just really tight in there. And it's not, like I said, it's not like they dissolve overnight. It's a loosening. There's a loosening process that happens. And I remember on one of our recent calls, yeah, one of our men said something like something to this effect of, you know, I'm, I'm 34 and not, and I don't have a wife and I I feel like there's something wrong with me. And you could just see a lot of nodding heads. Like a lot of, a lot of men were like, me too. I feel the same way. I feel like somehow I'm being judged by the world. And I'm, I'm also judging myself. Like what is wrong with me that I don't have a partner yet? I should be somewhere that I'm not right. I should be married. I should have children. I should have already started a family. I should have, you know, this sort of Western uh, ideal of, you know, monogamy, vanilla world of this is what you're supposed to do or be. And I think that just that experience of seeing other men nodding and knowing that this is a common experience and exactly what you said of other worthy men, right? Other men that I look at and respect other men that I've heard from and think that guy's smart or that guy's relatable, or I like that guy. I enjoy connecting with him. I, I, I feel close to him. I have respect for him. Just like, wow, if all of those other men are having this experience too, then maybe there isn't something wrong with me. Maybe I am actually normal. And that can change everything, right? That just experience of feeling connected can change everything because then it's exactly what you said. There's a loosening. There's a loosening around all of the the shame. Um, And I think that the what you said about, you know, because there's a dynamic here that we've heard before around self-loathing, which is a a unique, it's a unique human experience and it's a very common human experience, right? It's, we, we sort of all think that we're the only ones who do this to ourselves, but we're really not. And that is, um, I think what comes up, you know, when, we mentioned in the hallway, right. Of I looked at myself in the mirror. I thought I looked good. I walked out. There was someone attractive. I immediately thought I'm shit. I'm nothing. I'm not I'm worth nothing. I don't know why anyone would want to be with me. <clears throat> it triggers all of that self-loathing and that, that sort of self self hate. And I think that that's 
something that um, is, again, it's, we have witnessed that transform in people over time. And it's not necessarily something that happens by looking at it directly. It's not like I'm going exactly here, but it happens over time through connection. It feels like it's part of, there's something about connection and, and hearing each other's stories, telling our stories and hearing other people's real stories um, Brene Brown calls them our shame stories. There's something about witnessing, being a sacred witness to other people's shame stories and having ours witnessed that changes us. There is something about that that changes us. It's almost like alchemy. It's not something that can, can be explained. <clears throat> but where I'm going with this is it's not just about, you know, fixing self-loathing isn't just about I'm going to do a mantra. I love myself and accept myself. It doesn't really work like that. But getting yourself into, you know, workshops, therapy, somatic therapy, coaching, you know, personal growth experiences where you are led through empathy, essentially being seen and seeing others in deep and meaningful ways does something. It does something to us. It changes us fundamentally in healthy ways that loosen and open and all of the things we're talking about. And I thought this quote by Brene Brown said it really well, which is if you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three things to grow exponentially, secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you put the same amount of shame in a Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. It can't survive. And I really loved this particular quote this particular week because we have a client and he's only been in the program for six weeks and he has shared some of his shame stories with us and we've held them and it has been deeply healing for him to the point where he's like, yeah, I'm making different choices at work. You know, I feel different. Like he's experiencing pretty major shifts in six weeks. Like that's not a very long time. That's kind of my point of, it can feel again, like these things are so entrenched in us and actually it doesn't take, yes, of course, a lot of personal growth takes years and, you know, lots, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes it's a loosening of that knot, right? It's just enough that Mm -hmm. it loosens to the point where it's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to just go talk to her. Like you, you sort of get yeah. to the point where you, you have enough self-acceptance and enough. It, it doesn't need to be all the way over to like, I love myself all the time. It just has to be a little bit more of the time. And, and I'm wondering if you can share a little bit on your journey of what, what that was like. Cause I, even when you met your current wife, it wasn't like you were at perfect self-acceptance. You, you, you weren't, there's no perfect. Totally not. Um, I think, you know, one metaphor for shame is it's like, it's like willingly holding poison in our body. And then we go, you know, I would go out, I would try to do stuff to heal and move forward. And I'd be like, why isn't it getting better? Why isn't it working? But it's like, I'm actually still holding that poison in. And there's something about that process of releasing these stories, sharing these stories, connecting with other um, men in particular, but yeah, therapists, coaches uh, around these stories is it, it allows us to start to let go of that poison. And so it's not like everything's fixed right away, but we get to experience, oh, there's movement again. Like, uh, like I feel an actual healing energy happening. 
And then that's often enough to just start taking some action, right? Where it's like, oh, I, I can feel I'm not holding that bottle of poison in anymore. And my body is starting to, 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 to handle itself in some ways, to heal itself. And then when you put them in structures like we created, it really just accelerates it. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was totally something I still had, even when I got married, that would turn into our relationship dance and I would collapse into shame and I'm not enough and all, all of that. And that's very much started to change, you know, over the last year or two in particular, where it's, uh, I don't bottom out in that same way. I might still feel a little bad, but it's like, uh, uh, it's, it's such a differentiated experience now where I can feel that process happening inside of me versus I am that process, which is very different. Mm. And there's a way I can bounce back and be in conversation a lot faster now and just energetically hold it in a totally different way. And I've had to, you know, be digging deep on this stuff over the last um, years. And, you know, one of the ways it really showed up for me, which I think is kind of tangential to what a lot of our guys um, experience in terms of nice guy syndrome. And for me, it was really uncovering a deep belief I had of, um, I need to be a good guy. Like I, I, I got to be a good, I got to be a good guy who does the right thing and makes good choices, which I always thought was like a good thing. And it's not that it's not, but as I like last year went through some pretty painful, challenging stuff in my life and really had to look at that. Like what, why, why am I so attached to being a good guy and having people see me as a good guy? And it was like a lightning bolt. It was like, well, I need other people to see me as a good guy because I don't think I'm a good guy. So there's this, like, I have to like prove it on the outside thing. And that was like a ton of bricks that hit me of like, whoa, and where does that come from? And I traced that into some pretty deep um, self-loathing that I'd really just held over the years of, you know, my worthiness and, um, you know, even the, you know, the shadow side of men's work and so much of this growth work is like this always got to be better. Always like got to be growing and more fit and more conscious. And there's, there's like an intensity to that, that I think sometimes masks over like, no, sometimes you're allowed to just be a mess and have a bad day and not have your life together and be messing up. And like, that's okay when you're giving it your best. And that that's been a process I've really had to, to keep, keep working and keep unfolding and was greatly accelerated in its healing by literally being held by other men in that, you know, snot coming out of the face, like just totally collapsed in that. And still having, having men see me and hold me through that. And then actually see me even more on the other side of that. Like, wow. Yeah. We, we really see you and imagine how hard that's been and then start reflecting. Um, the positive qualities, like we said, <clears throat> that often I didn't let in. I think there's that's another way you can think about this is when you're holding on to all that shame, it doesn't leave much room for anything else to come in. But when you start to let go of the shame, then the natural reflections of your community and your world and your people can start actually have a space to land inside. And that begins that that rewiring, which it was so potent for me. And so now there's just a lot more space a lot more space around uh, my self-loathing and my shame where it's, it, it, it's like a part of me, but it's not me. I can like connect to it and talk to it. And this is stuff I often help 
we often help our men connect to and you know i'm a big fan of naming these parts or making characters out of these parts and starting to learn to distinguish oh that's not me that's not me and shame and self-loathing in particular like you know we've worked with some guys who this stuff is in, like incepted deep so to speak like the, like the movie like the core and the crazy thing is about this is not always but often like like you said Shame is a social emotion. Self-loathing is a social emotion, which means it's created in a relational context, which means you can't heal it alone. Mm. You have to heal it in that relational context. And often what it is, is when we're young, voices from the outside hit us hard that we don't have the capacity or defenses to, to, to inoculate ourselves against. And those external voices become internal voices and we forget mm-hmm. and we, we, we actually forget until like a lot of the work we, we do with men and these shame stories and going into their past and starting to locate, like, where did that start? Mm-hmm. And it's shockingly often comes from a person where we can start to identify, wow. Yeah. Somebody actually talked to me like that. And I, I was a kid. I didn't know anything better. So that became my reality. That became my programming. Or somebody didn't talk to me, you know, on the more the neglect side, which we've talked a lot about. And because nobody did talk to me, I had to make up stories about my presence or what it meant in the world. Um, but starting to unwind those kind of th- those voices is so key. And it, it's really powerful in groups when we can do it. And when we see other men moving through it, it inspires us to move through it and inspires us to go deep into um, these pretty dark places sometimes. Yeah. There's several key things that you said. I think one thing I want to come back to is that sense of needing, needing to be the good guy, needing to be seen as the good guy. I want to come back to that, but I do want to address this pattern of um, where does this come from? Where, what is the root of, of self-loathing? And I do think that if you haven't, if you're listening to this and you haven't yet listened to our episode on childhood neglect, I encourage you to, because what I have seen repeatedly in the men that we've worked with is that many times the self-loathing actually comes from neglect. And I'm not talking about necessarily physical neglect, although that, that can be part of it, but just, just not being seen, not being seen by caregivers, like really, truly, you know, some of the phrases that have come through of like, yeah, my parents never really had time for me. Or, you know, they just weren't around that much. Or, um, you know, I spoke to a guy recently where, yeah, dad was, dad was physically around. Sometimes he would come home from work, but then he'd be in the garage a lot. Or so he was around, but he wasn't really around. He wasn't, he wasn't present. He wasn't actually providing any attention or nurturing or guidance or attend just presence. And, and so what happens, and we know this developmentally with children is that somehow that experience of not being seen has the child believe, well, there's something wrong with me. There Mm -hmm. must be something wrong with me. And this is not a logical leap. This is not something the child is even aware that they're creating as a story in themselves, but it's very consistent that children of neglect will often feel I'm not worthy. My needs don't matter right? No one's asking the child, like, how was school? What's going on with that friend? How are you feeling? They never get asked, how are you feeling? 
So they don't learn how to articulate how they're feeling or even know how they're feeling because there's no one there to elicit that and to coax it out of them and help teach them. Here's how to be a human. Here's how to emote. Here's how, you know, here's how to do the human thing. And so they're kind of left to their own devices to just sort of make it all up. And very consistently, what we see is that, yes, the freeze response comes often from children of neglect. The self-loathing core often comes from children of neglect. And I think when we use that word neglect, we tend to think of it as, you know, someone that's locked in a basement or they weren't given any water. And what we see in our work is that's very rare. It's much more uh, likely that you were physically taken care of and emotionally neglected. (laughs) You were physically taken care of and emotionally neglected. And that, I think for a lot of our men, and especially for us, you know, witnessing their process, there's so much compassion there. There's so much compassion of like there really wasn't anyone around to help you and to, to guide you. And I think what I have seen, I'm you know, thinking of one of our clients in particular, um, and this is very true, especially of, of folks with an alcoholic or other kind mm-hmm. of substance abuse uh, parent is there was a light bulb moment of, of him realizing, wow, yeah, I was, um, I was neglected. That's a true, that's true. And it was strange. You could sort of see the dawning realization of like, I'd never thought about it like that. I'd never put those dots together. And I'd never sort of seen that this is why I kept picking partners where I felt like I was giving and giving and giving, and I was never really getting anything back from her, you know, because there was an empty pit of just, it doesn't seem to matter how much I give, how much I extend myself, how much I provide. It's never enough. And I always feel empty. And that I think can be a confusing experience because it can feel again, like, well, it must be me. It must be that I'm not enough. Otherwise I would be able to provide it rather than, oh, I was patterned this way. And I have picked partners that have mimicked this pattern. And when I start to loosen it and unwind it, I can actually have a lot of of self-compassion and see where that came from. Yeah. I think that's uh, super key. That patterning is so important to become conscious of and something we've definitely seen that right when the shame or the self-loathing isn't conscious in a way, for some men, it prevents them from getting into relationship for other men. It it actually, um, keeps them in relationships that aren't healthy for for too long with BPD partners or just unstable situations where there's that feeling of like, well, I can't, I got to take what I can get. Or if anything's wrong in this relationship, it's got to be because of me gets super internalized. And we've had a lot of guys transition out of pretty rough um, and oftentimes somewhat abusive relationships. And then do the work to start to uncover like, oh yeah, why, uh, why did I find myself in that situation? Like, why was I okay with that? Why did I tolerate being treated like that? And almost always it comes back to this kind of shame and this self-loathing and this, this, you know, I, I think the self-loathing in particular is like a deeper cut of it. Cause it's, it, it's, it's not just like, I'm not enough, but there's actually like the anger or the loathing gets in, internalized back onto yourself. It's like a, 
you know, like a version of kind of self-harm in terms of how we treat ourselves or don't take care of ourselves or overextend ourselves, um, like almost, uh, as I like to say, self-flagellating ourselves, where, where we kind of actually hurt ourselves in some ways with our language or how we treat ourselves. And then we can get into and stay into situations or relationships that just really aren't healthy for a long time. And the thing about this kind of um, shame or self-loathing is it can create a polarity. And the polarity is often some kind of narcissism or abuse. So there's like action totally eliminated. I'm no good. So then the other person kind of steps into then, well, I'm always right. And that's where these really bad relationships were just really hard relationships that we've, we've seen a lot of men come through, get stuck in um, mm. until they start doing the work to, to unweave some of these beliefs and realize like, wow, no, like uh, I, I can't do this anymore. Like it, it's hurting me and I can't hurt myself anymore. And I have to get out of this. And that's a big, big vulnerable shift for a lot of guys but really starts to change things. You know, we, we, we had one client who has a pretty intense job in the medical world and just really saw clearly how much he pushed himself, how much he pushed his body, the unhealthy relationship he was in and started making some big shifts that just included like taking a little time off, going on hikes, getting outside, exiting relationships that weren't, um, doing well and learning to treat himself first and foremost with more self-care and compassion. And that was like, you know, a total matrix changing moment for him. And he's now, you know, happily married to someone who supports him. And so there's an actual reciprocity in his new relationship instead of it just being that one way. Yeah. I'm thinking of another client who I think when we started working with him, he had just ended an engagement or an engagement had ended. And it was, yeah, one of those just feeling just used, feeling used, feeling like I give and give and give, and she still wants more. It's never enough. I don't feel seen really. He didn't have that language, but just, this is obviously not working and coming through and doing, you know, doing the work came to attract a, a much different dating partner, right? It's <laughs> just a total night and day shift. And it's not, you know, we're not saying it's like perfect on the other side, but it's significantly better. It's significant yeah. shift, significantly more connection, more authentic connection, more um, self-acceptance, self-love, which then translates into receiving that kind of love and care from another. And it's, it's, it's interesting yeah, that sense of um, I can feel it when you when you say it of when I believe that I'm bad or I believe that I'm unworthy, I will often attract someone who's happy to play that role of like, yeah, you're bad and unworthy, and I'm always right, and I know what's best. And you know, there you're right. There is a there is a polarity there. There is a way that we have frequently seen that as a pattern that that becomes can become entrenched. Um, the good news is it doesn't have to stay that way. It doesn't, you don't have to stay in any relationship um, that you don't want to be in. That's barring certain, you know, yeah. yes. In some circumstances, there are reasons why you need to stay and, and you do need to create a safety plan, especially if there's possible physical harm or violence. But for many of the men that we've seen, they have left those 
abusive relationships. They have successfully exited. And yes, sometimes it has required a lot more effort than other times. And from what we've seen, I would say consistently every man that we've talked to has been happier out of that relationship than in it, right? Tolerating that is so painful that getting out is part of what helps you recover and explore all of these things and, you know, get to the other side. And I think that's, that's something that's really inspiring is a lot of those men are sort of, they look back and they're like, wow, yeah, this relationship I'm in now is so much easier. It's just yeah. so much easier. You know, it's just it takes less energy and less effort and just, she's kind of okay more of the time. Like she's just okay more of the time. And it feels different, fundamentally different in, in my nervous system to be, to be with that. So I think there's something um, virtuous or there's a sort of virtuous cycle of, as we um, start to, yeah, accept ourselves more, love ourselves more, give ourselves more compassion, which is not always like you have to, compassion is really, you have to do more compassion is I see you. I see where you came from. I see why you didn't approach that woman at the bar. And you know what? It's okay. You're okay. We still love you. I still love you. Like not self-abandoning, right? Not abandoning ourselves, but actually accepting. Yeah. I, I, I messed up and I'm still okay. I'm still loved rather than I can't believe I messed up. I'm such a piece of shit. I can't believe I didn't approach what's wrong with me. I'm going to be alone forever. Right. Replacing those with like, yeah, it's scary to approach. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we don't make it. And tonight was one of those times and you know what, it's okay. Like, and I'm going to text one of my guy friend, you know, one of my new conscious guy friends and say like, you know what? Didn't, didn't, didn't happen tonight. I didn't do the thing I set out to do and I'm okay. I'm going home. I'm proud of myself for trying, trying, meaning just putting myself in a circumstance where it could happen, you know, acknowledging ourselves for what we have done and where we are, right. That is self-compassion. That is self-acceptance. It doesn't always mean you have to go do the thing you set out for. Sometimes it's just, I put myself in the right place or, you know, I, I did, I survived today. I made it through another day. Right. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind, especially in this season, right. And we are in winter moving into winter that sometimes the win is just continuing to go on. (laughs) Sometimes that's enough. Totally. Like I'm doing it. I'm doing my thing. I'm doing the best I can do right now. And that's what self-acceptance is. And it's a strong antidote to this pattern and it does create fundamental shifts and it's fun. I would say um, much like the analogy of planting seeds and then watching them grow. There are clients we've worked with. I'm thinking of one in particular where I am I just know it is just a matter of time before he meets a great partner. I just, he's doing the work. He's, he's done the work. He continues to, he came to our live event over the summer. He did deep work there. He continues to do it. I'm like this guy, like I can see it. It's, it's happening. It's happening. Like within the next year, I'm positive. Like he's going to have a great partner and it's going to be so different than it has been for him. It makes me laugh. Yeah. It's such a, great trajectory to get to experience with men and see as these seeds come to fruition and how things really can change. And, you know, it, it just strikes me. We were talking earlier about like, what is it about working with men? And like, why is that so important here? And, you know, it, it just hits me that so much of what we're talking about, uh, the shame, the, um, 
intense feelings we ca- carry about ourselves, the self-loathing, it, it's like it's like a lens we hold on ourselves. And the interesting thing is when we hold that lens on ourselves, that's often the lens other people will hold on us. And they basically see us as we're seeing ourselves. Um, there's something really special uh, about men's work that helps get around that. Because like you said, sometimes, and I do work with guys around this, but sometimes it's a little hard to go to that. Well, like I love myself and I totally accept myself right away. Like the circuitry just isn't quite there yet, but it's like we get to kind of diffuse that whole system when other men come in sideways and and, and something about the way they're able to share share their experience of us because it's not oftentimes connected to romance or sexuality or these places where these things really come up from us, it's like it starts to warm up the nervous system of like, oh yeah, okay, some of that's true. Yeah, I can start to feel that. And then as other men keep kind of pouring that sunshine in us, eventually we can start to connect to it. It's like, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, that's right. I'm working really hard. I'm proud of who I am, proud of what I'm becoming. It's not all where I want it to be, but I'm on the right path. And then when we're walking through the world like that, that's where so much can shift in terms of attraction and patterns and our willingness to like, whatever I got today is my best. So all I have to do is, you know, literally step up to the plate and then sometimes it'll be a home run. Sometimes it won't, but I'll feel good because I, I know I'm, I know I'm doing it. I know I'm trying it and just, and then there's something about when another man does that, it makes it easier for us to do it. And then it's just like, it just keeps swirling through the group. It's, it's so much fun. So inspiring to see. It is. It's, it's, I, it's one of my favorite parts <laughs> is seeing one man share something and seeing all the other nodding heads. Just like, I get that. I get that in my soul. Like I feel you, you know, and you can sort of get the sense of one person's share serves the whole group and the whole group is, is served by that person's share. You know, they, they, mm-hmm. they, they feel that shift in them, even though they weren't the man that said it, they've yep. also deeply gotten something transformative from that share. So there's, there's something extremely efficient about group work as well that I find it's like, you can't, you know, replace that. That's not replace. You can't replace that. That's impossible to get in a one-on-one situation. There's no way to get that, that level of, of depth. Um, One last thing I wanted to share too, is that something I have found inspiring is when we do have more awareness as, as you're pointing to, it's a lot easier for us to show up for our partners and it reduces our fear of, of free. So for example, um, there was a man who was sort of like regretting, like, man, I wish I hadn't said that, you know, to this woman on a date and long story short, um, you can actually call them and say, I regret that. This is something I regret. And I've had that experience in relationship a couple of times where a man I've been been with has called and said, listen, I was reflecting on our conversation this morning and I feel like you were just trying to share your feelings and I, sh- I shut you down. I got defensive. I felt like whatever, whatever, what, whatever was happening, I'm sorry. And that has meant more to me than if he had shown up in that, in the moment, the fact that he was able to reflect on his actions and then call. So I guess where I'm going with this is regret doesn't have to stay regret. 
So you, you never have to stay in freeze, right? There's even if you freeze, which will still happen, you can come back later and say, you know what? I kind of froze there. And I wanted, I really wanted to kiss you when we were standing by the car. I just thought you should know that that's hot, right? There's something hot about that. So you don't ever have to feel that sense of being frozen and trapped forever. Again, you don't ever have to feel like that again, when you learn and you loosen these knots and you get, you get more flexible and limber, you don't have to be perfect in the moment. You don't, you don't have to be perfect in the moment. It's okay if you freeze in the moment and then you come back later and you, you express, and that's true in relationship as well as dating. It's, it's, it's a, it's a skill that you will have with you forever. Uh, unwinding this stuff is one of the, I would say, most important investments you can make in yourself because it also doesn't just show up in dating. <laughs> Talk to any man. This shows up in so many parts of our life, our work, our ability to ask for raises or time off or difficult conversations with family. Um, it really does often comes down to, uh, really does often come down to like how we're experiencing ourselves and our beliefs about ourselves, right? Yeah. If If we're not connected to compassion for ourselves, we often won't stand up for ourselves right? and ask for what we need out in the world. So getting in there and doing this hard work, which it's, it's not always fun. It's not always pretty. Um, but like so many other things we talk about, it's way easier to do in community and it accelerates it a lot faster and actually can kind of make it a little bit more fun. Cause there is something about the, like, I just shared this weird thing about myself or belief I have. And then everyone on the call raises their hand, which is often the case of like anyone else ever. And just like, boom, all the hands go up. And there's almost always a smile on the person who was like, Oh, I thought I was the only one. Oh my God. And that itself is the healing action. That Mm -hmm. is the healing movement starting of like, okay, there's nothing, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with me. I've maybe made some mistakes or didn't have certain training in the past, but there's nothing about me that's rotten to the core. Yeah. Um, all the things I want can happen. They can happen. They can happen. Well, that seems like a good place to wrap. Um, I would also say that one of the things I really love about this work is there's a quote that says, we overestimate what we can accomplish in a year and underestimate what we can accomplish in a decade. And I think that that's why I'm so passionate about personal growth work is that it is compounding interest. It does grow over time. It sets you up for a better life, right? The, because the growth work that we see and what I see in our, in our men is that they keep doing it, right? So they do, they do keep improving. And when I say the word improving, I don't mean in sort of capitalist sense. What I mean is more self-acceptance, more self-love, more, more of that sense of wholeness and wellness that yeah. goes beyond, you know, just chasing the next thing or like improvement in, you know, outside circumstances. So I find that deeply inspiring because what I have found is that, you know, a lot of the men that work with us, they're ready, right? They're ready. They're like, I need something to change. I need something to shift. And I've obviously been working on it for a while and it's not happening. So I need to bring in some something else. And that something else ends up being just so much more than what was expected, right? Like to your point, it's like, wow, this actually transformed my whole life, mm-hmm. not just this one area. And, and that said, this one area is vital 
right? Connection, love, um, sex, belonging, you know, just relationship is one of the most important parts of life. It really is. It's it's one of the deepest spiritual learning grounds that we have. So it is worth working on this part. And it also expands a lot of other things in, in, in your life. So if you are interested in working with us, you can take our free training at evolutionary.men slash training. And then you can book a call. We can explore. Yeah, we'd love to dive in with you.